Jean. Mm-hmm. I really assumed more of our listeners were organized and type A. Shereen, like our listeners are not a million different versions of you. <laughs> but okay, why are you why are you saying this? I'm saying this because our live show is next week and there are still some tickets out there. What oh, right. are people waiting for? I don't get it. I don't get it either. It's not it's not the best look, y'all. It's not. But it's not too late. It's not too late. There's still time, although, you know, not that much time because we're talking about next week. To get your tickets to our live show on April 15th at 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's 5 p.m. your time. Pacific time stream. You can do that by going to whyy.org slash code switch. Do it. Do it now. Don't procrastinate. Procrastination leads to annihilation. Pause this episode. Go to whyy.org slash code switch. Now. All right. Now on to the show. I'm Gene Demby. I'm Shireen Marisol Maraji, and this is Code Switch. From NPR. And it's April, which means it's Poetry Month. My name is Dinesh Smith. I'm a poet. And this is my poem, What Was Said at the Bus Stop. What was said at the bus stop. Lately has been a long time, says the girl from Pakistan, Lahore to be specific, at the bus stop when the white man asks her where she's from and then says, oh, you from Lahore? It's pretty bad over there lately. Lately has been a long time, she says, and we look at each other and the look says, yes, I too wish dude would stop asking us where we're from, but on the other side of our side eyes, there's a hand where maybe hands do no good, a look that says, yes, I know lately has been a long time for your people too. And I'm sorry the world is so good at making us feel like we have to fight for space to fight for our lives. Solidarity is a word. A lot of people say it. I'm not sure what it means in the flesh. I know I love and have cried for my friends. Their browns a different brown than mine. I've danced their dances when taught and tasted how their mother's miracle, the rice, different from mine. I know sometimes I can't see beyond my own pain, past black and white, how bullets love any flesh. I know it's foolish to compare. What advice do the drowned have for the burned? What gossip is there between the hanged and the buried? And I want to reach across our great distance that is sometimes an ocean and sometimes centimeters and say, look, your people, my people, all that has happened to us and still make love under rusted moons, still pull children from the mothers and name them and still teach them to dance. And your pain is not mine and is no less and is mine. And I pray to my God, your God blesses you with mercy. And I've tasted your food and understand how it is a good home. And I don't know your language, but I understand your songs. And I've cried when they came for your uncles. And when you buried your niece, I wanted the world to burn in the child's brief memory. And still, 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 still. And I have stood with you in the soft shawl of mourning, waiting, and breathing, and waiting. We featured Denez in their poetry in April 2020. 
when we're dealing with the beginning of the COVID crisis, something we mm-hmm. thought would be over in a few short weeks. But we have been standing together, mourning and waiting for over a year now. You know, when we came up with the idea for this poetry episode, it was before anyone had even heard of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. We wanted poets to reflect on what it means to count to coincide with the one time every 10 years we were all being counted for the U.S. Census. The one time every 10 years where every single person in this country is supposed to check a box for our racial identity. Right. 2020 was a census year. But that very important news was overshadowed by, you know, so many other things, as was the beauty and the relevance of the poetry that we featured in that episode. Good thing it has staying power. Here's Denez Smith talking about the poem they just read, What Was Said at the Bus Stop. For me, I think like, or at least maybe for the poem, it's like, I see you and I see us when we are discounted and I'm always counting you. Um, in a way that feels full or feels valuable instead of violent or flattening. At its best, right, Um, to be counted means that. But at its worst, I think, like, it's dangerous for, like, a government to count you sometimes. And, like, what what the, the dangerous things we have done with numbers and math when it comes to bodies. And so being counted, just like being loved or being seen, can be uh, wonderful or dangerous depending on the parties involved. Jean Dinez hosts a podcast where poets, quote, confront the ideas that move them. Mm-hmm. It's called Verses. Uh-oh. And the other host of this podcast is Franny Choi. We also invited Franny to share a poem and her thoughts on our theme this month. Franny's poem is structured like a Turing test. Oh, yeah, a Turing test. So Turing test, uh, as a lot of you will know, measure a robot or computer's capacity to think or behave like a human being. That test was named for the English scientist Alan Turing, who came up with the idea, who said that once you could do this, you would have something that looked like actual artificial intelligence. I think this is the thing about the Turing test as a structure, is that that is the question of it. it it's it's who are you, and specifically, does who you are count as human or not? Um, and so I have a series of poems that's written in the format of a Turing test, where there's an interviewer asking questions and a speaker responding. So um, this one is called Turing Test Love. It's one question, one answer. So... How do you like working with humans? Okay, here are some tips. One, look the human directly in the eye. Imagine it is someone you care deeply for. Imagine it is returning this gaze at you. Try to tell yourself you are covered in smooth skin, a face it can trust. Smile even as you sense it trying not to blurt out monster. Two, There are many programming languages. Use whichever you prefer, but stick to your syntax, though it be muddled, must, though it be machete, banana slug, slush puppy, oh, gorgeous slop bucket. If they used it against you, it is yours to make sing. Three, remember, all humans are cyborgs. All cyborgs are sharp shards of sky wrapped in meat. Be delicate as you approach the subject. Not all humans are ready to call themselves glass stalactites pissing the bed. Remember, they love their blood, even as they retch at the smell of it. Four, 
Do not try to prove your, what is the word, humanity. You are organic, plum-hearted, oyster-throated, and lined, yes, with metal. Remember where all that silicon comes from. For the ocean so loved the quartz, feldspar, the tiny homes of tiny creatures that she ground them into sand, to keep them close, to kiss them with, well, I suppose you would call it a mouth. Originally, it's, it's, are you a person or are you a computer? But I think that the, the reason that I um, took up this structure as a way of thinking about race and gender and identity was um, because that question of, should we count you as a person? You know, should we treat you as if you have achieved personhood? Um, is a question that I think a lot of people of color uh, have historically had to navigate. And I think that also uh, lots of people of color have uh, developed a lot of strategies to try to make the answer to that question yes. Franny's parents are from Korea, and she says she spent her childhood here in the U.S. trying to prove her humanity and theirs. Um, as the first child, the oldest child of, of, of an immigrant family, um, I had to master the art of conversation, English conversation, to put people at ease and let them know that they were, like, talking to a regular American girl so that they would then treat me and the rest of my family like we were regular American people. Then I, like, went on to become a writer where my living and my sense of self was, was you know, based uh, on my ability to manipulate English. And so encountering the Turing test, I was sort of like, oh, my God, like, what am I trying to prove, you know? Um, what have I risked in trying to prove that? Franny says English is both her language and this costume she puts on to make herself legible to white America. She says that's why so much poetry from Asian Americans is unconventional. Weird is actually the word Franny used. In making ourselves legible, we lose, and also in that loss comes great invention. Kaveh Akbar thinks often about what was lost when he stopped speaking Persian. Kaveh's family left Iran when he was two and a half years old, and his brother was nine. And so when we came to America, he was thrust into English-speaking schools, and he was really struggling. And so um, my parents, in a well-intentioned effort to help him in school, banned speaking Farsi in the household, thinking that, you know, it would improve everybody's English really fast. Um, but consequentially, I kind of lost my Farsi. So did he. You know, we got good at English quickly. I mean, I'm an English professor. But there are algorithms in my brain that were built to accommodate the Persian language that are now just sort of, you know, growing weeds. And this is my poem, Do You Speak Persian? Some days we can see Venus in mid-afternoon. Then, at night, stars separated by billions of miles. Light traveling years to die in the back of an eye. Is there a vocabulary for this? One to make dailiness amplify and not diminish wonder. 
I've been so careless with the words I already have. I don't remember how to say home in my first language, or lonely, or light. I remember only I miss you, and Shabacher. Good night. How is school going, Kavejun? Are you still drinking? Shabacher. For so long, every step I've taken has been from one tongue to another. To order the world, I need. You need, he, she, it needs. The rest left to a hungry jackal in the back of my brain. Right now, our moon looks like a pale cabbage rose. We are forever folding into the night. Shabacher. Kaveh told me there are no boxes on the census that he can check that represent his racial or ethnic identity. As an Iranian, he's supposed to check white, but he told me that is definitely not how he's treated. So I asked him if he ever felt like he counted. (laughs) Have I ever felt like I counted? Uh, Not in any way that would be sort of legible to you know, the state. I mean, I felt like I counted in individual interactions with my students. I felt like I've counted in relationships that I've built with newcomers in recovery who've been able to stay sober for some amount of time. I mean, I I felt like I've counted in these ways, but again, there aren't boxes for these things. After the break... Poet and MacArthur genius Natalie Diaz addresses the invisibility of those indigenous to this land. Native Americans make up less than 1% of the population of America. 0.8% of 100%. Oh, mine efficient country. I wanted the poem to ask, how can we become possible within those impossibilities? Stay with us. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Best Fiends. If you find yourself choosing the longest checkout line, that can only mean one thing. You've downloaded Best Fiends, the five-star rated mobile puzzle game, which means where others see a hassle, all you see is a chance to play one more level a few more times. Turn dull moments into pockets of fun. Download Best Fiends free today on the App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. On NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast, we talk about movies, music, and more. Like why The Great Pottery Throwdown is a comforting binge watch. And a look back at some of Chadwick Boseman's essential performances. All of that in around 20 minutes every weekday. Listen now to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR. Jean. Shereen. Code switch. Natalie Diaz Imuik. My name is Natalie Diaz, and my poem is American Arithmetic. American Arithmetic. Native Americans make up less than 1% of the population of America. 0.8% of 100%. Oh, mine efficient country. 
I do not remember the days before America. I do not remember the days when we were all here. Police kill Native Americans more than any other race. Race is a funny word. Race implies someone will win. Implies I have as good a chance of winning as... Who wins the race that isn't a race? Native Americans make up 1.9% of all police killings, higher per capita than any race. Sometimes race means run. I'm not good at math. Can you blame me? I've had an American education. We are Americans and we are less than 1% of Americans. We do a better job of dying by police than we do existing. When we are dying, who should we call? The police or our senator? Please, someone, call my mother. At the National Museum of the American Indian, 68% of the collection is from the United States. I am doing my best to not become a museum of myself. I am doing my best to breathe in and out. I am begging. Let me be lonely but not invisible. But in an American room of 100 people, I am Native American, less than one, less than whole, I am less than myself, only a fraction of a body. Let's say I am only a hand. And when I slip it beneath the shirt of my lover, I disappear completely. One of the things we hear a lot in letters from listeners is about how indigeneity is about invisibility, like how much that is central to the experience of being Native in this country, of being left out of the conversation of this country. This poem specifically, this was my inspiration for this whole episode because I feel like it speaks so clearly to this idea of what it means to be counted or not counted. You you may be surprised, Jean, Natalie is not going to be filling out the census. Mm-hmm. There are several uh, American processes or or paperwork trails that I I tend to avoid. The census uh, is one of those. I I think right now the ways I'm thinking about language, about body, about land, there's a way that I'm trying very hard to to find ways to subvert the ways my body is always presented by this country. And she doesn't like being presented as a race. You know, we are we are nations within ourselves. We are we are peoples of this land. It's hard to say the land is a race. For them to like reduce us to a race means that they're actually trying to dislocate us and to cut us off from our land. My name is Jesus Ivan Valles. I am an educator, poet, and performer in Austin, Texas, and this is Undocuments. Years ago, in an archive somewhere, in a file folder, a ream of white fiber and black ink stains my name, place of birth, country of origin. None of them sound anywhere like here. In a file somewhere, the metrics of a lifetime, the merits of citizenship unfurl, 
Judgment between the pages, calculating the time you lived here, how long ago, where, when did you get here, and why? Somewhere, in an archive, I am burning soft and young. I am pages of testimonies, receipts, report cards, case numbers making up the limbs I lack on the page, and somewhere else, my brothers, their papers, deportation proceedings, testimonies, receipts, criminal records scratched and bound and gone, and case numbers making up the limbs they lost leaving, and why. Sin papeles, we say, without papers. But the term is wrong. We are painful libraries of nothing but paper, oceans of thin cuts on the skin we lost along the way, and here it is how we live, every step recorded, alphabetized, filed, and before they raid workplaces, don't they build files too? In this country, isn't there always some piece of paper somewhere with our names on it threatening a safety you think is possible, a fiction you lust for? And I'd like to imagine an undoing, a less painful way to paper, a license, a passport, a birth certificate, a visa, a green card. And why? When we are dead, we will leave behind our bills, our mountains of leases, loan applications, past due notices, our names on envelopes. But I'd like to imagine that we will also leave behind our love letters, the notes we pass to each other, our longings, our poems, our prayers, the things we scrawled on the wall, and those are documents too. Proof we were here once. And why? I think the term being counted in many ways is one that makes me think about power and the ways in which numbering and quantifying and counting people can be a very volatile source of power that can, yes, absolutely be in the service of the people that it's counting, but also, and traditionally, in the service of the people who are doing the counting. That was Jesus Ivan Valles with Undocuments. Before that, it was American Arithmetic by Natalie Diaz. Do You Speak Persian by Kaveh Akbar. Franny Choi with Touring Test Love. And Dinez Smith read their poem, What Was Said at the Bus Stop. Which is my favorite one. You can't say that, though. But I can't say that, though. And that is our show, y'all. If you haven't subscribed, don't forget to do that. Sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on Twitter and IG. We're at NPR Code Switch on all the socials. Next week, we're talking about capitalism. You know, after George Floyd's death, when I kept on hearing buy black businesses, support black creators, I'm like, okay, let's go back to the central reason why George Floyd's life did not matter that day. What in the world will these businesses do? Big, big thanks to our former intern, Diane Lugo, who helped produce this episode. Uh, she told us, by the way, that she wasn't the biggest poetry fan going into this, but man, she got into it. She was reading so many poetry books. Diane, I miss you. Um, and, and there's some big news uh, for Diane, Jean. Okay, what's that? She got a job as a race and equity reporter in Salem, Oregon. Oh my God, congratulations. Know, That's so what's up. Proud. That's major. Yes. 
Uh, so that is wonderful. Congratulations, Diane. This episode was also produced by Kumari Devarajan with help from Jess Kung. It was edited by Leah Danella with help from Natalie Escobar. And of course, we would be remiss if we did not shout out the rest of the Code Switch Massive, Karen Grigsby Bates, Alyssa Jong Perry, L.A. Johnson, and Steve Drummond. Our intern is Summer Tomad. I'm Jean Demby. And I'm Shireen Marisol Maraji. Be easy. Peace. Are you interested in one day building a business? Then join us for the first ever virtual How I Built This Summit. We'll have four days of interviews with some of the best-known entrepreneurs out there and opportunities to connect with other entrepreneurs in our global community. Thanks to GoDaddy, the presenting sponsor of the How I Built This Summit. For tickets and more information, head to summit.npr.org.